Have you ever asked yourself why? Why do I exist? Why is Jesus the only way? Have you ever wondered why you should have community? Why you should be in a small group? Why do I give? Why would I be generous? Why should I serve? And why would I share my faith? Have you ever asked yourself, why should I love my neighbor? That's a hard one. And why would I live a missional life? Why do bad things happen to good people? We all have so many questions. Let's take the time to dive into what scripture has to say. Amen. We were singing that song, let everything basically that has breath give God praise, right? And uh, before I do the welcome or anything else, I was like, Hannah, come on, go with me. Today? I said, yeah, today, baby girl. We, we were talking the other morning. This is my 21-year-old, and I love this little girl so much. But she battles cystic fibrosis. She battles a lot of health issues. But she shared something with me that brought me to tears the other day, just in regards to perspective. Jump in there. This is all ad lib. Do it, baby girl. <laughs> um, so 2 Corinthians 12, 8, verse 10 Um, I'm going to read it real quick. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Um, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So... Um, as Dad said, I've had some affliction and discouragement with my health and CF lately. Um, a lot of lung infections. I was hospitalized for a few weeks. And um, through all of it, physically just felt depleted um, and really was struggling with the Lord a lot through that time. Um, and it's hard for me because I am really passionate about health and wellness. I work at a chiropractor. I help other people in it. And so I work super hard to for, for those outcomes, for the right outcomes. But, yeah, I don't always have it. Um, with my own health, and so it can be difficult sometimes. And so it was a couple months ago after I was hospitalized, I was in the car one day, and I was just crying out to the Lord, and I was asking for healing, yet knowing that I didn't think he wanted, he doesn't want to heal me on earth, um, because why would he take something away that brings me closer to him? (laughs) And, but I was praying, I was like, God, I know you can heal me, but I don't know if you want to, and I don't know what you want to do. Um, and immediately I was reminded of the scripture that he wants me to be weak because in my weakness, um, that's where I acknowledge my need for him in a much deeper way. And so therefore I'll welcome the affliction. I won't pray it away because I know that in my weakness, that's where his power is made perfect. And so I'll allow suffering to always remind me that I need him. I depend on him and I need his power. And so even in that, my lungs, I know, weren't made for me, as the song said. Like, they were made to bring him praise and bring him glory. And so I'm really grateful for that. Even in the affliction, I'm grateful because I know that my life has so much more purpose. That's what I'm talking about. And it brought me to tears when she sent that to me the other day. I was like, look at that perspective right there in the midst of adversity and suffering. I'm like, yeah, we have anointed her. We have prayed over here, over her. I'm like, Lord, heal that little girl. But even in the midst of it, I'm like, she ain't backing down. She is not backing down. 
And that last line, when she was like, my lungs were meant to praise the Lord, whether they're infected or not, I will not back down. Thank you for coming up here last minute. I mean, right when Nick said, turn around and greet someone, I said, hey, come on, let's roll it. She goes, why? And I said, you can do it. And I really do, we brag on our kids and people, right? But I do believe that God, and I've told her this, I believe God has got a call on her life to be a, a voice piece for him. And she's not afraid, even though it's uncomfortable, she's not afraid to stand up and uh, to declare how good her God is. And so, yeah, that's what we're rolling into, right? Hey, welcome. First time here. It's kind of a great day to worship the Lord and contemplate uh, the goodness of God. Yusuf, welcome back from Nigeria, man. I know your mom passed away and you had to go back to Africa, man. It's so good to see your face today, but it's so good to see many of you in here today. Uh, if you're visiting, the easiest way to connect with us is via our website, thecrossloganville.org. If you'll go there, you'll find the connect card, guest card, you'll find uh, previous sermons, the Version Bible app. There's prompts, all kinds of stuff there that will help you connect with us even in a deeper way. You'll see the Give app. All the stuff is on the startup page. Make sure uh, you access that. We would love to send you information uh, on our church and the different ministries that we have. I talked about last week on the front side uh, about just some of our values. We value corporate worship. We believe it's very important for people to get together and uh, worship the Lord together. We talked about how we value generosity. Generosity is the greatest apologetic in defense of our gospel, how generous we live our lives for the sake of the Lord. That's important. We value uh, fellowship. The word is koinonia in the Greek, small group, community, connection, other ways to say it. We value doing life in circles, not in rows. We believe that you can grow so deeply when you get in a smaller group with other people and start to walk with and do life together. So we're launching right now our uh, what would be the spring, winter, spring semester of our small groups. And if you're not connected in the Connect Center, you, you will, uh, you'll find a lot of different options for you. Please get involved. Uh, our, Rick was baptizing today. I think about our, our student ministry culture, Rick, everything from high school all the way down to newborns. I mean, we want to see people grow. We want to see people connect. And belonging and connection is one of the values that Rick really drives in that ministry. And so make sure you get uh, connected and get involved. A premise statement that I've made over the last few weeks as we've uh, dove into our series that we've titled Why? Uh, why do we exist? We've looked at purpose. We've looked at meaning. We've looked at all this kind of stuff the first two weeks. Uh, a premise statement that I've made is this. It's never too late to be who you might have been. And it's never too late. I was talking to a gentleman earlier, and he was talking about his sister-in-law even in her late 60s, knocking on the door of 70, and just has surrendered to Christ. And I said, hey, man, it's never too late to be who you might have been. And so it doesn't matter where you find yourself today. Uh, you've got a God that loves you. You've got a God that wants to do an incredible work in and through your life for his name's sake. And so no matter where you find yourself today, Vic, no matter how tough life might have uh, treated you in the past, you can be the person that God wants you to be if you will totally uh, come to him and submit and surrender to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would speak in a powerful way today, and I pray that you would minister like only you can. 
Lord, for those in this room, those that will watch online, I pray in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be open for you to do a work of transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I think uh, this is probably the most important question that I will ask in this entire series. We'll look at why does God allow suffering? Why do I live a life of generosity? Why would I serve and share my faith, etc.? But today, I want to unpackage and I want you to, to join me as we look at the question, why is Jesus the only way? I believe that is the most important question that you will ever answer. Now, it amazes me as I look in culture that people can talk about God and talk about God in general and people don't get upset. And the word God, even in our culture today, has become more of a vague term. But you speak specifically about Jesus Christ and people oftentimes want to fight. And I'm like, wonder why that is. You can hear people use the name of Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, even the Dalai Lama, and it doesn't create much of a rift. But you mention specifically Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden there's tension. And I started thinking, why is it that way in our culture? And I believe that the reason that the name Jesus Christ is so offensive and divisive in culture today is because he claimed something the other religious leaders did not claim. Jesus claimed that he was God. He claimed he was God. If you pick up your text and even get to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is taking the disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a very polluted, infected area. Pan worship was taking place. A lot of twisted sexual misconduct was taking place in Caesarea Philippi. And so Jesus takes these disciples, probably 18, 21-year-old guys, and he takes them to this place. And in the midst of all this polytheistic worship, he looks at them and he says, uh, so who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? If you read the text, you'll see that they responded back and say, well, some think you're Elijah. Some think you're, you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. It's a very important question to ask, right? Who do they, who do they say that the Son of Man is? Now stop. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The name Jesus Christ is not a first name and a last name. It's not like Nick Slade or Dustin Wilbanks or Tim Cash. The name Jesus Christ is so powerful. The name Jesus is derived, if you will, from the Old Testament word Yeshua or Joshua. And it literally means Jehovah, our Savior. It means the Lord saves. The name Jesus, every, name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus the Christ is Lord. What, 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 what does your name mean? Yeshua, Joshua. My name Jesus means Jehovah, our Savior. The Lord saves. The name Christ 
is where we get the word Messiah from. In the Hebrew, the word is Mashiach. It means the anointed one of God. So Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Christ, he is Lord. He is the anointed one sent specifically by God who will bring salvation and hope and forgiveness to the world. Now, 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 who, 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 who do people say that I am? Well, well, there's some differing views. And then Jesus asked this question. How about you? Who do you say that I am? Who, who do you say that I am? Peter immediately confesses and says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus does something very interesting when Peter makes this confession. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't dismiss him. He affirms him. And he basically says, Peter, you're right on time. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven has revealed to you who I am. What did Peter do? He confessed. What is the word confess? In the Greek, the word confess means it's homologia. It means to say the same thing or desire the same thing that God says about something. Peter confesses, homologia. I know who you are. You're the one that's been prophesied about throughout the pages of the Old Testament. I know who you are. You are the anointed one sent from God. You are the savior of the world. I know who you are. You sit here this morning, January 21st, 2024, and I ask you the question, who do you say that Jesus, the Christ, who do you say he is? Over the years, people have said uh, he's a miracle worker. He is a, a moral teacher. He, he, was a, uh, he was a pretty good prophet. They give all these different reference statements toward him. Who is he? You talk to a JW, they say, man, he was Michael the Archangel that eventually entered into the world. Joseph Smith and the Mormon movement, his dissected deity of who he is. You'll hear people make all these observations. He Moral teacher, decent prophet, a miracle worker, did some pretty cool tricks and treats along the way. J Jesus, uh, who did you say that you were? He goes, well, I'm God in flesh. I'm equal with the Father. Uh, we're, we're, we're one. If you took the Gospel of John and did a thorough study through it, Cindy, I've got many references here, whether it's chapter 5, 8, 12, 10, 15, all these references in the Gospel of John. Listen to some of them that Jesus made about himself. He said, if you knew me, you would also know my father. You guys are attacking me. You claim to be sons of Abraham. You claim to worship Jehovah, Elohim, the one true God. If you knew me, yeah, you would really know the father. You don't know the father. For when you see me, he makes this statement, you're seeing the one who sent me. Anyone who hates me, he also hates the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is not honoring the Father who sent him. And then he makes this statement, I and the Father are one. Jesus, so you declared oneness with God, the Father, and you claimed equality with the Father? You, you claimed that you were God 
in human flesh, who do you say that he is? A couple of guys that I've read over the years that I find very fascinating, C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell. These guys are very popular amongst evangelicals, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, The Lion, The Witch, The Wardrobe, many things that he's written, screw tape letters. Josh McDowell, C.S. Lewis both come out of an agnostic flavor, trying to dismiss really that there's even a God, refuting the claims of Christ, and in their in their pursuit to show that why Jesus was not who even evangelicals claimed that he was, in their pursuit to dismiss, they discover and they're converted and become radical followers of Jesus Christ. Both of these guys. Josh McDowell would write a book, More Than a Carpenter, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Many things that he's written that I've read. Listen to what Josh McDowell said. He said, Jesus claimed to be God. And to him, it was of fundamental importance that we believe him to be exactly who he said he was. Either we believe him or we don't. He didn't leave us any room for a watered-down alternative of who he is. To claim what Jesus claimed about himself, he couldn't be a good moral man or a prophet. That option is not open to debate. Jesus Christ is Lord. We will unpackage here over the next minutes was Jesus Christ really Lord, or was he a liar, a lunatic, or just a mythological legend? Who was he? Josh McDowell, in his quest to dismiss and disprove who Jesus was, came to trust him as the Savior and Lord and Master of his life. C.S. Lewis would write, Rick, I am trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says, look, I'm a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or even something worse. Lewis would go on to write, you can shut him up and call him a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him just being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Who is Jesus? Again, fundamentally, it is the most important question that I will ever answer and you will ever answer. When you look at the life of Jesus the Christ, Jehovah is our salvation. He is the Savior in flesh. He is the anointed one sent by God. When you look at his life, even to the point where he would die a criminal's death on the cross, you have to stop and go, so again, Jesus, why why did they arrest you? Why would they take you to trial and kill you the way they did? If you look even in our day and go back some 2,000 years ago, men are accused and put on trial for what they've done. He was holy. He was righteous. He was pure. He loved. He offered compassion. Do you know why Jesus Christ was crucified? For nothing that he did. 
He was crucified because of who he claimed to be. We're going to kill you because of who you claim to be. And who did he claim to be? Is Jesus really the only way? In John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Guys, there's no alternative routes. You'll hear people say in our culture today, well, I kind of believe that all roads lead to the same place. I've had people tell me that over the years. Uh, Tim, I believe there's multiple ways to get to God and get to heaven. That argument would fall apart in a million different ways, even logically. Where are you going? I'm going to Houston, Texas. How are you going to get there? Well, I'm taking I-20 East and I'm jumping on 95 North and I'll see where I go. You're not going to Houston. You're not going to Houston, baby. You're going the wrong way. Philosophically speaking, not all roads lead to the same place. Jesus, who are you? I'm equal with God. I am God in flesh. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the only way. Those are claims that Jesus made about himself. So again, the question must be posed, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he a mythological legend or is he really Lord? The Jewish leaders of that day accused him as being a liar. He was teaching in the synagogues there in Capernaum. Capernaum was his home base of where he kind of launched and did a lot of his ministry. John chapter 6, verse 42, they, the Jewish leaders were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say that I have come down out of heaven? The people of Capernaum were very familiar with Jesus, and not only Jesus, but with his mom and dad, Joseph and Mary. They look at him and go, oh, we know who you are. You were working in the carpenter's shop with your dad about three years ago before this supposed baptism of John the Baptist in the Jordan River took place and the dove descended on you. We know who you are. You're just the offspring of Mary and Joe. That's who you are. You're flesh and blood just like the rest of us. It's like, yeah, well, you came from the womb of Mary. How do you say you came down from heaven? And their conclusion was this, you're a liar. You were born into a family of a bunch of stinking liars. We know who you are. We remember about 30 years ago when your mom came out, uh, this 15, 16-year-old girl, and was telling everybody she was pregnant, but she had never had sex with a man. We, re we remember how trippy your family is. That's what they were doing. They're like, that family, man, bunch of stinking hippies, their reputation, they're out there. I'm telling you, you, you they're not true. But Jesus said, uh, I'm God in flesh. If he was lying, we only have two options. We have two options. Was he lying? Skip, if he was lying, we have two options. He was either lying and knew he was lying, or he was so disillusioned and had no clue that he was a liar. If Jesus knew that he was not God, then he was lying. And he deceived his followers and told them, come to me, trust me, walk with me. I will give you abundant life now and promise you eternal life later. If he was lying, he was very fraudulent in the way he misled his disciples. 
If he was a liar, he was the biggest hypocrite that had ever lived because he told people to tell the truth and to be honest, and here he would be lying. Does that sound reasonable? And if he was a liar and if his claims were false, he would be a fool because claiming to be God led to the most brutal crucifixion, murderous death in human history if he was a liar. So you look at the claims of philosophical argument and they go, he's a liar. But to conclude that Jesus is a liar does not match up with his life nor his teachings. You study human history. Wherever Jesus Christ has been proclaimed, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one of God, the one who brings salvation, the one who's going to deliver, wherever his name has been proclaimed, lives are transformed. Nations change for the better. Thieves become honest. Alcoholics become sober. Those who are channels of hate become channels of love. Wherever the name of Jesus is proclaimed, you see major radical transformation. And I've experienced that in my own life. What happened to you? I met Jesus, the Christ. I repented. I received him as my authority, Savior, and Lord. Is he a liar? Some said he's a lunatic. Some of the other Jewish leaders held to this viewpoint. In Matthew chapter 12, Michael, we read this, that a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and Jesus healed the man. All of a sudden, the man began to see. He began to speak. When the Pharisees heard this, listen to their conclusion. This man here, Jesus, he cast out demons only by Beelzebul, who is the ruler of the demons. The reason he can cast out demons is the demon inside of him is greater than the demon inside of this blind mute man. They accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. What are they going to do with him? Why was he such a threat? Because these guys occupied positions of power and control. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he's threatening their slot and life. Oh, look at our position. We don't want to give it up. And now these people are starting to follow you and pay attention to your teachings. And we're even seeing transformation in their lives. I'm like, what happened? Who spoke the most profound words ever spoken? Jesus. Why did he speak the most profound words ever spoken? Because it was God speaking. That's God speaking. You dive into the gospel of John, he even makes more statements. Again, as he said, I came down from heaven. People must come to me to get to the Father. He said, I'm gonna, I'll be resurrected, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. He said that about himself. He even told the people that I am the object and the focus of everything that the prophets had spoken about. He said, hey, when you see me, you see almighty God. And then he makes this statement, whoever believes in me, no man will ever snatch you out of my hand. The enemy can't snatch you out of my hand. If you truly believe, believe in the Greek is the word pistis. It means I am persuaded to take action. It doesn't mean just mentally to acknowledge you, you believe me 
I'll give you eternal life. When you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you don't, you don't see a crazy person who is disoriented. He demonstrated compassion, not conceit. He demonstrated holiness, not hypocrisy. He demonstrated supernatural power, not pride. He was genuine and he was not a fraud. As I study the life of Christ myself over these last 38 years, I can tell you this. If Jesus Christ was crazy, if he was a lunatic, I have prayed that God would fill me with the same level of insanity that he filled his son with. If he was crazy, I want to be insane just like that. Show up. What's up with him? He's got compassion, not conceit. He walks in the power of God and not in pride. He believes that he's only passing through and this earth is not his home. He comes to serve and not to be served. He comes to give and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm like, Jesus, if you're crazy, Rob, I want the same level of insanity that was inside of him. Others say uh, he was just a myth, a legend. There's too many historical documents that would dismiss this. But some people want to hold to the argument. They categorically lump him over here with Santa, the Easter bunny, tooth fairy, whatever. Stop. He's not a legend. He's not some myth of the past. Again, in the Gospel of John, he makes these I am statements. And I've pondered these. Like when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the bread of life. God provided manna for the people as they wandered in the wilderness. And Jesus said, you, you want to be sustained in life? You want your soul sustained? I'm the bread of life. I was born in Bethlehem, city of bread. The chief baker I am, I came out of bread, Bill. If you're looking for something to sustain you and bring you the nutrients that you need every day, I'm, I'm I'm the bread of life. He makes the statement here, Dean, where he says, I am the light of the world in John 8. Hey, there's been so much darkness. There's been so much chaos. You're walking around trying to figure, figure your life out. Let me illuminate you. I am the light. The light shines in darkness, but darkness does not comprehend it. Why don't you come to me if you want to experience illumination? Before Abraham was, he makes this statement, I am what do you mean before Abraham was? We've got to go back almost some 3,500 years to get to Abraham. He goes, I know. Before Abraham was, I am. Before David was, I am. Before there was, I am. Remember when Moses is like stuttering and he's like, all right, so if I'm going to go tell this Pharaoh to, to, to let your people go, God, who do I tell him sent me? Who he said in Exodus? We're all the way back to Exodus. Hey, hey, God, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? And God goes, tell him I am sent you. I am? Yes, I am. I am? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. I am. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and the earth is void and without form. And God said, let there be light. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the light of the world. As far back as we can go in Scripture, God said, let us make man in our own image. Who's us? I am. I'm like, ah, oh, that's who you are? 
I could stay in this too long for y'all. I get fired up studying this stuff. I am the door. What do you mean you're the door? The thief, this is in John 10 where he says, do you not realize the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy? I've come that you might have life. Enter through the door. You've got to enter through the right gate. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my friends. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And even in John 15, he goes, I'm the true vine. You're the true vine. I'm the true vine. What, what, what do you mean by you being the true vine? They've left the upper room. Jesus is about to go through the Kidron Valley. Study it. In John 15, he's about to go over to Gethsemane before he heads up to the Mount of Olives. I've been there. I've, I've pondered this. And while they leave the upper room, they have to pass by the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount, the temple where the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt, they have to pass this place, and there's a golden vine wrapped around the outskirt of the door. And the vine is, sim is symbolic that Israel is God's chosen people. The vine. God even talks about the vine throughout the prophet Isaiah's writings. And so Jesus is walking through this vineyard, this vineyard. And while he's going through these grapes and olives, and the temple's at a distance, and they're surrounded by this, Jesus stops and says, Hey, guys, I'm the true vine. God's covenant in the future is going to be with me. I'm going to shed my blood and pour out a new covenant for you. I'm the true vine. I'm, I'm, I'm what you're looking for. Read these I am statements. Study them. What are you saying? Jesus, what are you saying? I'm saying I am God. And I am God in flesh. And I'm 100% God and 100% man. So you're not a liar, a lunatic, or even a mythological legend. No, no. Here would be my question. Here would be my question. Why, why would the disciples commit their entire lives to follow this madman, if he is, for three years? Why would they leave their family, their businesses, their homes, everything they've got, when Jesus said, come and follow me, why would they start to follow him and eventually die, they left their family, family, they left every business, everything. They left it. Why would they do that and then eventually die martyrs' deaths where even Peter would say when they came to kill him, he goes, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Why would they do that if he was not Lord and if he was not God? Why would he do that? We cannot satisfy ourselves with this cultural, religious approach to Christ where we tap in for 85 minutes on a Sunday and go, well, I've accepted Christ. What does that mean? The word accept, when you study it, means to make room for. He didn't come that we would make room for him. He came to take over. He goes, come to me and follow me and I'll give you life. I don't want you to make just a little bit of room and your heart for me. Come follow me. All roads don't lead to the same place. Come follow me. Tap into me. Trust me. Again, believe. Persuaded to actions. Even John in chapter 20, verse 31, he goes, uh, all of these things 
have been written so that you will believe and continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you will have life and power in his name. John, why was all of this written? Come on, Ray. So that you will believe, not that you will acknowledge, not that you will have some casual affiliation with. What was it written? So that you will believe. Who is Jesus? To you. Have you radically repented and surrendered to him as Lord, Master, Ruler, Authority of your life? That's the rub. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and even do some healing in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. Never knew you. You didn't know me as your Lord. You were gigging for God. You were going through the motions. So if you look at the evidence, even evidence that demands a verdict, and you start to comb through philosophically, historically, where do you land on who is Jesus? So you've got the miraculous conception. Yes, you got that. you got over hundreds of hundreds of prophecies that were made by Isaiah, Micah, all these other prophets fulfilled in Christ. Hundreds. You've got the incredible miracles that he would do. You've got the overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection celebrates, uh, it, it puts Jesus in a place that no other religious leader can be. It emphasizes He's, he's, got, he's the only one that ever defeated death on the grave. What do you do with him? And my prayer is that we would really surrender. The one thing I know, Steve, the one thing I know, if Jesus Christ is who he claimed he was, and if he is truly Lord, he deserves all of me. Why is Jesus the only way? I laid out claims to you. He's the only way. I want all of you, Tim. I want your time. I want your talents. I want your treasures. I want all of you. You know what blows my mind? In this room right here, even starting over here with Hannah and these girls and all the way over here, listen, Autumn, listen, if every person in this room went all in, surrendered, became the men and women of God that God desires us to be. What would happen to Loganville, Walton County, Gwinnett, and beyond? If Jesus could take a bunch of ragamuffins that were overlooked by the rabbinical system of his day, Peter, James, John, and these guys, Judas hangs himself, taps out, he's out of the game. God in his kindness would bring about a radical conversion to a guy named Saul to Paul on the Damascus Road. Now we got 12. Do you realize that we are sitting here today because 12 dudes that got serious about following Jesus and declaring his lordship began to take the gospel to their known world and it began to spread? What if 300 people said, I'm all in, I'm tired of playing games? 
And we began to take that gospel to our neighborhood, our workplaces, to our schools, the different places that we exist, and say, hey, can I share with you what has transformed my life? You know, I was hell-bent. You know, I was out of control. Let me tell you about Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. If we got there, I'm all in. I'm going to take the gospel. I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to know the Lord, but I'm going to take the gospel wherever I live. Let's wrap it. Come on, let's pray. <clears throat> what keeps you from surrendering to the Lordship of Christ? And my encouragement is, nail it down today. We saw two baptisms here in this service. You're sitting here and you're like, I've never repented. I've never surrendered. I've never yielded my life to the Lord. You can do it right now. This crowd, Jesus, please save me and rescue me. You are Savior. You're the anointed one. You are. And I've ran from you and I've dodged you and I've neglected you. I confess, homologia, I confess that you are Lord, please come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. I repent of my sin. I need you desperately to, to lead my life daily, hourly, every minute.